A veritable earthquake has gone off in the Catholic Church this week. A deep fault line has now appeared between good and faithful and orthodox Catholics who are completely divided over a new declaration by the Vatican. This document from the Rome says that a new form of blessing can basically be issued to couples who are in a same-sex attraction. Well, I'm going to speak a little bit more on this since I've already talked about it, but I want to bring up some new points. That, and also I want to address those who have been writing me for years now, telling me that I need to condemn Pope Francis. I want to speak directly right now in this webcast to that deception and why it is a deception next on Countdown to the Kingdom. Hello, I'm Mark Mallett from Countdown to the Kingdom and the NowWord.com. Well, what a week it's been. I, I have personally never seen this level of um, division within the Catholic Church. But before I begin, I want to talk about, I mean, first of all, who am I and why am I even bothering to do this webcast? What, what is my authority to give any opinion on any of this? Well, I'm not a theologian and I'm not a priest, so what am I? Well, I'm a layman and I'm baptized and I share in the priestly, prophetic, and kingly role of Christ. That's the teaching of the Catholic Church. But there's one other thing. In 2002, Pope John Paul II called us who were youth at that time to become, he said, watchmen who proclaim to the world a new dawn of hope, brotherhood, and peace. He directly said, Dear young people, it is up to you to be the watchmen of the morning who announce the coming of the Son who is the risen Christ. You have to just stop and reflect on what the Pope was saying. He was asking the young people to prophetically speak to the church after watching and praying and seeing what is coming according to the faith of our Catholic Church. And he said plainly, What is coming is Jesus Christ. And I want to say at the beginning of this webcast, clearly and loudly, Jesus Christ is coming. And I think he's coming sooner than later. But by this, I, I don't mean it the way that many of our evangelical brothers and sisters mean, that he's coming to end the world. No, according to our faith, according to the early church fathers, as we've explained multiple times in hundreds of writings and in webcasts, what is coming is the fulfillment of the Our Father, when He will reign in us in such in a new and divine holiness, as John Paul II himself puts it. It's the fulfillment of the Our Father, when His will will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And thus we pray every day, Thy kingdom come and Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. But before this comes, all of the other things that are spoken of in Scripture Nation rising up against nation, famine, plagues, and earthquakes from place to place must occur. And more than that, false prophets will arise. And they will deceive, it. Jesus says, even the elect. Let that be a warning, because I think that deception is already well underway and deceiving many of the elect. A false church has been prophesied by many, and we see this false church in, in hints of it in Scripture as well. We have to be aware of these things. 
So, what is my authority to speak and say anything? It's basically a baptized Christian who is trying to answer the vocation right now to be a watchman, to speak prophetically to the church. And that means that everything I'm saying, the church has to discern. It's not infallible. St. Paul is very clear, do not despise prophecy, but test everything and retain what is good. I invite you, I implore you, and our bishops and our priests, to test everything I'm saying against sacred tradition, against scripture, against common sense, and test these things for yourself. But I have to do what I feel commissioned to do, what Christ called me to do in a personal way, and through John Paul II. I've submitted myself to spiritual direction. I've submitted myself to my own bishop who supports my ministry. And therefore, what I have to say is based on those things alone. I have no inflated value of what I am to say other than the conviction within my heart that Jesus has asked me to take this time, this afternoon, to speak to the body of Christ. I want to then address this document, this Dune document that has come out uh, from the church. Uh, it's called Fiducia Supplicans, if I'm pronouncing it proper. My Latin's not great. But in this new document, as I've addressed in my writing, and those of you who want to see, I've, I've, I've done a very thorough writing on this called Have We Turned a Corner? And I'm even adding quotes to it as I go along as more and more authoritative voices in the church are addressing the controversy of this document. You can find this writing, Have We Turned a Corner? at thenowword.com. In this document, essentially, and I'll sum it up for you, the the document goes to lengths to say that in no way can a blessing be given to same-sex couples that would give it the appearance of, of marriage, which sacramental marriage is a separate thing. The document makes this, this orthodox statement clear. Second of all, the document says in no way can it give sanction, seem to appear to sanction a same-sex relationship. So, what is it with this document that is creating controversy. Well, I'm going to pause for a moment, and I'm going to let Trent Horn from Catholic Answers take over. He Here he is giving an introduction to his interview with Ben Shapiro, and Trent identifies, it, it basically echoes um, what I have written in that doc, and what I just showed you on the screen. He echoes that with his own concerns, and I'll let him just summarize it very briefly now. I wanted to communicate that some reports about this new Vatican document are simply not true, uh, like reports that the church has changed its teaching on marriage, or that the church is now, now allowing for formal liturgical blessings for same-sex couples that resemble gay weddings. That's not true. The church has not changed its teaching on marriage, and it has prohibited the kinds of things being advocated for in Germany, like formal blessings in a ritual or liturgy for so-called same-sex couples. But I also wanted to affirm that this document is confusing, and Catholics can rightly criticize it for lacking certain elements, including references to things like seeking God's blessing, specifically to lead people to repentance from sin. One thing I should have added in our interview is the scandal of this document blurring the lines between blessing individuals who are in a sinful relationship so as to lead them closer to God and creating a situation where it looks like a priest is blessing the sinful relationship itself. Even the phrase gay couple 
in the document can create this impression, and so it should have been avoided. Okay, so there you have it. It's an orthodox document, but it's not a clear document. It's a confusing document. It's leaving out certain things that need to be said. And in that regard, I want to say, this is why I think this document is dangerous. It's literally dangerous for souls and for the message that the church is sending to the world, and especially to those who are vulnerable, the young people who might be struggling with same-sex attraction. We have to be careful. As St. Paul said, even if eating meat or drinking causes someone to sin, don't do it. Even though eating meat and drinking, of course, there's nothing wrong with it. But he says, be careful not to scandalize. And our Lord himself said it would be better if a millstone were tied around your neck and you were thrown into the sea than to cause one of the little ones to sin. Now, I agree with Trent. All that's in this document seemingly is orthodox. It makes many orthodox statements. It's, it's ultimately, I don't think, it's not a heretical document. It's not in what it's said, it's in what it's omitted. And here it's the sophistry in it and the danger. And I want to go back to Genesis 3.15. Because, you know, when, when Satan spoke to Eve, everything he said was actually, it was kind of orthodox. It was actually true. It's not in what Satan said that was in wrong. It's in what he didn't say and what he left out. So in Genesis 3.4, when he asked them if they ate of the fruit and what God told them that they would die and all that, Satan responds, he says, Well, listen, he says, you will not die if you eat it, for God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. Okay, so let's just examine that. First of all, he said, you will not die. Well, actually, Eve didn't, you know, take a bite of the fruit and bowl over and die. She didn't. But what did Satan leave out? She would spiritually die. But I mean, the statement is a half truth. Second thing, he said, for God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be open. That's exactly what happened. Her eyes and Adam's eyes were open, and they saw that they were naked. And now the third thing, he says that you will be like God, knowing good and evil. And sure enough, Adam and Eve tasted the bitter bitter, um, pith that was in the apple, the, the rancidness. They tasted evil for the first time, and they knew what it was. So, in essence, this statement on its face by Satan is actually orthodox. And that's why it is so powerful and why it deceived Adam and Eve. And so, this document, and you can go on and read it uh, on the website, you can read this document, and it seems to check all the marks. The problem is that it doesn't it leaves out certain important things that need to be said. Second of all, well, let me let me just before I do that, let me just then go on to to provide you an authoritative voice from Kazakhstan, I believe it was Archbishop Tomasz Pita, and he said this about the language of the document. Therefore, he said, none, not even the most beautiful of the statements contained in this declaration of the Holy See can minimize the far-reaching and destructive consequences resulting from this effort to legitimize such blessings. With such blessings, the Catholic Church becomes, if not in theory, then in practice, a propagandist of the globalist and ungodly gender ideology. 
he's being very blunt in this instance, uh, Archbishop uh, Tomasz Pita. He's being very blunt about this situation right now. But I agree with him, and here's why. Because in the responsorium, the responsorum rather, that was given by Pope Francis himself two years ago to one of the cardinals who issued the dubia about same-sex blessings, it's very clear that homosexual people with homosexual attraction can come forth as individuals to ask for a blessing without in any way, and it says in any way, this blessing tacitly approving that relationship. The problem now is this new document coming out from from the Vatican, as Trent Horn said, it uses the word couple. A couple can now come forth. And more than that, it says that even though the blessing can't bless the relationship per se, it can bless the good things in the relationship. Uh, That which is true, which is good and humanly valid. And that's why this, according to Bishop Alaganti, is a sophistry. It's missing something. So let's go to what he said in his comments on this. He said, you can't give a blessing like that, but you could, he said, if the right inner disposition is given in the context, then these people try to repent, to give up objectively sinful practice, concubinage and sexual interaction, and to to correct it. He said for this, they can receive the blessing for growth and grace and for the success of their moral efforts and their next steps in the good direction, but not as a couple because of the misunderstanding and impossibility of such a blessing. And the the, the impossibility is that you're presenting yourself already in an objectively state of grave sin or mortal sin, although the culpability at that point may be uncertain, objectively speaking, we know it's a, it would be a mortal sin to have same-sex relations. And so he says, for this they can come forward for a blessing that would say something to the effect, may the Lord grant you right understanding, strengthen you in the good, and strengthen you in your decision to keep His commandments. May He accompany you in your repentance with His grace. Anything that goes beyond that is sophistry and does not adhere to the teachings of the church, but under minds them. And so, that's the problem with this document. Yeah, it has all that beautiful language and all those things it says that are orthodox, but it omits this important clarification on the disposition required of coming forward. And so, um, what you have then right now is we're dealing with a high-level sophistry. And I say high-level because I, and I'm not judging, but I'm seeing people who I expect to see through this sophistry aren't seeing it and going out there and saying this document is fine. And in my opinion, and I'm speaking now as a watchman to the church, this to me is opening the door to the great apostasy. And you've got many bishops and priests now coming out not all of them, as I said, but you've got many of them coming out and saying this is opening the door uh, to, uh, to really to apostasy. In fact, let me just find one. I'm just spontaneously doing this. It was Father Dwight Longnecker who, who came out with a warning today. And uh, he said this document, oh, I'm sorry, that's, um, here it is. He said, to put it briefly, the intentional ambiguity of fiducia supplicans opens the door to just about every subversion of marriage demanded by the enemies of the faith. 
But that same ambiguity means the document is toothless. So many are trying to use the bludgeon saying, you have to follow this, you have to follow it. it it's a pastoral directive. And as a pastoral directive uh, that is going off the rails, it, there needs to be a discussion in the church. Similar to what happened in Second Galatians chapter 2, I believe. Remember when Peter, uh, when he would, he would do one thing with the Jews and another with the Gentiles, and Paul went straight up to Jerusalem. And he said to his face, he said, Paul, Peter rather, he says, you are not in line with the gospel. And, you know, Pope Benedict refers to this post-Pentecost Peter, and he's, he sees Cephas in this as being Peter. He says that Peter in that instance is not just the rock, but also a stumbling stone. And so there needs to be a discussion, a very serious discussion about this, because this is scandalous. And although some people say, I don't care what the headlines say, I don't care what the media says, who cares? The fact is, is that that media is actually informing the Catholic beside you in the pew. And so, as much as I don't put a lot of stock in what the media says, at the same time, I recognize the media is is a deception. It's the mouthpiece of the beast that is deceiving on a mass scale today. And so, while we can't control the headlines, in some ways, we have to clarify what is being said to the average Catholic who's not reading the Pope's document, who's not reading Mark Mallet, who's not reading all of the other good apologists in the world, but just watch the news and flip through social media. And so that's a problem. And so this is why we need to have these conversations. But this raises the point, because I've brought this up, saying that this document is a sophistry, People then say, oh, but Mark, you and your webcast, and so you're going soft on the Pope. You need to come out and condemn the Pope. Why? Why do I need to condemn the Pope? First of all, we're a family. You who say these things to me, you're my brother and sister in Christ. And the father of this family, the earthly figure, is the Pope. He's the vicar of Christ. And remember, even St. Paul used that. He said, Timothy calls me father. And I'm just adding that because some evangelicals want to take out of context Jesus' words about calling others Father. But we're a family. So the first thing is the first thing is I recognize that Pope Francis is my father in the faith and that we need to help him. Just as I would want to help my earthly father if he had gone astray, I wouldn't just kick him in the teeth and, and publicly condemn him. So here's what I want to say about this whole idea, and I've dealt with it for so long, and I'm sick of it, (laughs) so I'm going to deal with it right now on this webcast, straight out to, and and, and, you know, some, they they call themselves rad trads or whoever might be, you know what, let's lose the labels. Those of you, you know who you are, who want me to come out, you want me to condemn the Pope. And you write me and you say, oh, you're blind, Mark. You're deceived because you won't come out and condemn the Pope. I'm going to tell you exactly why I'm not compelled to do this. And it's because of the teaching of the Catechism. And it says this, Respect for the reputation of persons forbids every attitude and word likely to cause them unjust injury. So therefore, it says to avoid rash judgment which means to rashly judge the motives of another person, including the Pope, everyone should be careful to interpret insofar as possible his neighbor's thoughts, words, and deeds in a favorable way. 
The Catechism then continues in small print, although I think it should be in bold and screaming. It says, Every good Christian ought to be more ready to give a favorable interpretation to another statement than to condemn it. But if he cannot do so, let him ask how the other understands it. And if the latter understands it badly, let the former correct him with love. And if that does not suffice, let the Christian try all suitable ways to bring the other to a correct interpretation so that he may be saved. Well, I've already brought to you the example of um, Paul going to Peter. And we also have cardinals and bishops today who've issued dubia, who've urged clarifications, and who now, having been ignored by the Holy See now for years, are having to publicly make statements. As Jesus said, go to someone privately, and if they don't listen, take two or three. If they don't listen, bring it before the whole church. And this is what others have done. And by the way, Canon 2.12 in the church, and I'm, go- I'm going to bring this up, I just got to look for it, because, uh, I, and I have to keep repeating this, I have to keep quoting it, um, and I, I did have it in front of me at one point. I have to keep quoting Canon 2.12 so people understand that I, as a lay, layman, do have the right to bring such serious and scandalous issues to the forefront for the benefit of helping the faithful and our pastors. And it, Canon 2.12 says, according to the knowledge, competence, and prestige which the lady possess, they have the right and even at times the duty to manifest to the sacred pastors their opinion on matters which pertain to the good of the church and to make their opinion known to the rest of the Christian faithful without prejudice, and that's the catechism here, without prejudice to the integrity of faith and morals, or of a person, and with reverence, reverence toward their pastors, and attentive to common advantage and the dignity of persons. You know, I want to say, I share in the frustration of many of you, many of you, if not most of you, with this present pontificate. As Ben Shapiro said in his interview with Trent Horn, how much should people who are concerned about the future of the church be concerned about a a papacy that seems to make these sorts of quote-unquote confusing moves a lot? I mean, there's a lot of clarification that comes from this Vatican that was never necessary under John Paul II or, or under Benedict. All the time, it seems like the Vatican says a thing, and then the entire left press celebrates the thing. And then five seconds right. later, there's a, it was mistranslated. Oh, I was just confused. That, that never, shockingly, right. that confusion never happened under Benedict or Pope John Paul II. And it's true, and it's frustrating, but it's not authorization, therefore, to attack the dignity of the Holy Father or other bishops, nor to to make rash judgments which are forbidden to do according to the moral teaching of the Church that I just read to you. Listen, some of you even now are questioning whether the uh, election of Pope Francis was legitimate. And I've addressed that argument, and I think it is. I haven't heard a single single cardinal, including the most orthodox ones, the ones who issued the dubium. Who I heard none of them come forward and, and suggest that this election was invalid. But let's just set that aside. Let me give you the benefit of the doubt that you think this election, that there's grounds for it being invalid. And that he's not the Pope. He is still a priest. He is still ordained. And those hands of Francis 
Blessed be God, are still holy hands when they consecrate bread and wine that become the body and blood of Christ. Those lips of His that still pronounce to you absolution of your sins are blessed lips. And when those very same lips affirm sacred tradition, as he has done on numerous times, blessed be those lips, because Jesus said to the apostles and their successors, whoever listens to you, listens to me. And therefore, blessed are those lips when the, when the Pope is doing his duty and affirming the faith, because then it is the lips and the voice of Jesus Christ in that moment. And so, I have no problem saying these things publicly to you. And those of you who throw the baby out with the bathwater, you are scandalizing, especially those evangelicals or people who are trying to enter the church. You're scaring them away. And and I'm not just making that up. Yesterday, I just read the comments beneath a very popular YouTube commentator who's made a living now out of criticizing the Pope. And I read two comments beneath him. People said, I'm leaving the Catholic Church. Another said, I'm, I'm, you know, coming in, but now I'm not going to. Be careful what you're doing. And that's a warning to me, too, to be careful what I say and what I do and to not be reactionary. And frankly, you know, the other day, uh, Daniel and I did a webcast. It was We did not plan to address this issue, but we realized it was the last webcast of the year, and we realized, well, we've got, we've got to talk about this. We read the document through and responded, and I, I think we could have done a much better job than what we did, but we did our best. But we have to be so careful for those, as St. Paul says, don't eat meat and don't drink for those who are weaker in the body of Christ. We have to be careful. Okay, so when it comes to the Holy Father, the Catechism of the Church, the Catechism of the Catholic Church is clear. You have to give a favorable intention to the Pope. Well, what has the Pope said from the very beginning of his pontificate? He said that we have to go out to the peripheries of the world. We have to get out of our diocesan offices, get out of our rectories, and ask, lady, get out of your comfort zone and get out and preach the gospel to the world. Bring them a kerygma. Bring them the good news of the gospel. I mean, Pope Francis was firing on all cylinders when he began. And, he, you know, he gave the beautiful analogy, the church needs to be a field hospital. Well, my gosh, even I need that. I need the body of Christ to minister to me and my wounds and how much more the world. These are beautiful analogies the Holy Father gave. And that's the lens through which he is doing everything. His intention now is to reach out to same-sex couples and married and divorced uh, divorced Catholics who now are in irregular relationships and and reach out to them. And he's talked about the fact that some people are, may not be aware they're not fully culpable in things like this. I mean, listen, I've been asked to sing at weddings of Catholics who are living together, you know, and I remember the last time I did, I had to say to him, I said, I said look, brother, I'll sing at your wedding. But you know what? God really wants to bless you. And so you, you need to move out with your wife and you guys need to abstain beforehand. And, and if you do this, if you follow what God is telling you to do, he'll bless you for this. And so that's kind of how I dealt with it. But with this kind of ignorance is all over the place. And it's precisely because our shepherds and we as laymen who have a voice have failed to catechize our brothers and sisters in Christ. 
how many of the people who I have talked to all over the world who said, I go to, you know, the homilies. There's such an opportunity to address current events and teach the faithful about these issues of homosexuality and contraception and cloning and on and on, all these moral issues today that we're facing. And our priests are silent. We get flowers and platitudes and not the solid meat of teaching. So we are to blame for this. And so we need to have compassion and mercy on people who are who don't even have any guidance and the only guidance they're getting is from people like Father James Martin who's you know widely broadcast and 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 others and the media of course and their interpretations and now we've got the situation we're in where Catholic schools and university and elementary schools are posting pride flags all the way down the hallways as in someone I know who told me this and they're they're just going it's even hard for us now in these situations to teach the Catholic faith because the, our educational system is gone. So we're in a crisis of faith. Let me get back to my point. Pope Francis's intention then is to reach these people. So I'm giving him a favorable intention. I'm giving him the benefit of the doubt that his motives are right, but I'm not saying the way he's doing it. The way he's carrying it about, such as in this document, is right. No, he's been ambiguous so many times. He's left statements like, who am I to judge, unqualified, although he did come back after and qualified that. So he's done things like this that we have to see. It's like a father in your family who says things that put everybody on heels on their heels at a family reunion, awkward things, strange things, unqualified things, and you have to take them aside, basically say, Dad, you know, what you said, didn't you see Auntie's face? You put her totally on her heels. We need to do this with Pope Francis and, and, and with our own priests and bishops and, and, and have this kind of cordial um, discussion. After all, take Pope Francis on his word. He wants us to be a synodal, a listening church. So let's insist that we're listened to, and I'm insisting that we be listened to. This document, although it has beautiful language, is dangerous. As one bishop said, it is cunning. It is opening the door to apostasy, and we need that discussion. But you know what's happening right now? Is this is such a, I think it's such a high-level, brilliant deception right now happening through this document that many good Catholics, and I mean I mean really good, you know, more holy than me, who are thinking, who are wise, who are prayerful, have not yet seen this deception. I think they will. I think because of their good intentions. But you know what we're seeing right now is exactly what I have been writing about for years, that there is coming a divided house. And I'm not necessarily saying that this is going to be the issue that necessarily divides us, but it might be. I mean, the the political—I've got a writing, I don't have it with uh, on the screen, but a writing about, how politi- about political correctness and the great apostasy. Trust me, this document will draw in the bulk of Catholics who will then say, we've got to just open up and accept and bless these couples and accept them. And what I say to this is, yeah, 
We need to come to these couples, welcome them to church and so on, but we have to always call every single person to repentance and conversion because the truth alone will set you free. And repentance and conversion isn't a big heavy. It's actually a marvelous joy. It's a cleansing. It's a liberation from darkness and deception and from activities and actions that we think are good, but are literally poisoning us, if not separating us from God. And so right now we are seeing, I'm just putting up right now some writings for you that you can see that I have written over the years about a coming great division that is going to happen in the body of Christ. And I'll add to this, I've also said that I think it's going to come not from the left, uh, sorry, I hate those labels, but from the more liberal or progressive Catholics. It's going to come, I think, from the conservative Catholics. And already I'm seeing the first fissures of schism in the church right now, of people saying, you know, leave the Pope, reject the Pope, he's not the Pope. And I'm sorry, all I hear is the echo of Martin Luther. That's all I hear in your voice. You are the new Protestants. And I don't mean that to degrade evangelicals who may be watching this. But you are. That's what Martin Luther did. He had many good things to say. He identified many things that were corrupt in the church. But Martin Luther went too far and divided himself from the body of Christ. And so right now we're living through not only the great storm, but a storm of great division. I've talked about how this division must come. Because Jesus said at the end of the age, and Again, we're not at the end of the world. We're at the end of this age. He said that the wheat will be sifted from the weeds. And right now, brothers and sisters, we are going through this great division. We are going through this great, great sifting. I mean, that's back in January 2016 or 2006 and the Lord was already then prophetically speaking to me about this great division that was coming. And so I say this to you with love, but as a warning to you, because Jesus said that he's coming, and he said that even the elect will be deceived. Just stop for a moment. Most of you watching this, you are the elect, and Jesus warns that many of you will be drawn down the garden path and deceived. I think what's happened over the last four years was already the beginning of that warning that St. Paul came, that with the Antichrist, God would allow a strong delusion to come, that those who refuse to believe the truth would believe the lie and therefore be condemned, that is, self-condemned by what they do. But we the elect, me, Mark Mallet, you could be, you could be deceived. And so, listen, everything I'm saying right now, I am running it past my spiritual director. I am praying over this. I'm talking about this with theologians, with my team, with people I trust that I know are discerning and who, um, you know, and I'd say 99% of us are completely in agreement about this document. It's dangerous. It's a deception. It could potentially lead those who are in these irregular relationships to have the false security, the false assumption that what they're that, that living through and carrying through with this relationship is okay when the scriptures and the moral teaching of the Catholic Church based in sacred tradition clearly says it's not. It's not. And so just as I call young couples, a, a man and a woman who are living together before marriage, that's wrong. 
and, and, and God can't bless that. And you need to repent of that. You need to move out. And the same thing with same-sex couples. I had a, a lesbian couple write me, and they say, Mark, we're reading your writings, and we want to follow God's teachings. What do we do? How do we do this? What do we need to do? And so I was able to speak to them and, and give them some guidance. You know what? I, I, as I said, in, in my own circle of my family, among my relatives and so on, we have family members dealing with same-sex attraction, okay? So this this is within the broader circle of my family and friends and so on. I'm not out there throwing the Bible at them, hitting them over the head. I'm counseling them in the mercy and the love of Christ and admitting that they have a big cross. But you know what? I know many young men who are he- who are heterosexual, who have a huge cross, as they are tempted against the spirit of pornography today, and impurity, and this is hard for them. And I see them struggling, and I see how at every turn on the internet in the world, there is one more big temptation. Men are being tempted to leave their wives in marriages. They're looking to other women, and they too have a cross to overcome. So both heterosexuals and those who have a same-sex attraction need to overcome and to pick up their cross and follow Jesus. Sometimes I think Jesus leaves us, not to sin, but he leaves us sometimes really tasting our weakness so that we remain humble and small before him. Okay, brothers and sisters, uh, my family is coming, uh, all eight of my children, and I need to focus on them. Um, I need to be with my family. (laughs) The last four years, I have lost time with my family for this, for this ministry. And I don't regret it. I said yes to Jesus. I've done my best. And I'm sorry, I'm emotional, but It hurts. I've had children leave home and they needed their dad. When I was doing documentaries and writings on the pandemic and I've had people write me and say, I have no doubt, Mark, that you saved my life because I was going to get that thing in my body. And I know it's done some good, but it's cost me and I need to just focus now on my family, okay? I need to take a couple of weeks off from this ministry. The world doesn't need me. Christ doesn't need me. He'll use me when I offer myself, but he doesn't need me. In fact, I don't know if you need me. You need Jesus. We all need Jesus. That's all we need. And so, this has been an emotional week. I didn't see it coming. I think it's tragic. Because many families, and probably my own, this whole issue will come up, and it will be heated, and it will be divided. And rather than having a blessed Christmas together, many families will be completely divided. And it's just so unfair that this document came out at this time, being so divisive as it is. But it is what it is. So here's what I tell you in my parting words. Choose peace. Be the voice of peace. Make your case, make your statements, but then just agree to disagree. I think you have to do that. You know what? It is what it is. And sometimes in something like this that I, again, think is a high-level sophistry, we can only help pray each other through it. Pray 
each other through it. So from the bottom of my heart, I want to first thank you, uh, all of you who have supported this ministry uh, with your prayers, with letters of love, uh, financially, because uh, this is full-time for me. I, your, that donate button is how I rely on it. And um, uh, to continue my work of evangelization and what I'm doing. And, and I just, I'm so grateful for your support and your understanding um, and your mercy toward me because I'm, I'm a weak man and I'm not perfect. Not everything I write is perfect. Not everything I say is perfect. And, and some of you are just so gracious and appreciate that. I ask your understanding for those of you who sent me mail letters that I haven't been able to respond to. I am just overwhelmed, as you can see, with uh, everything. Uh, I'm overwhelmed. And I ask your prayers, especially those of you who are priests, who are, who've written me, who watch these webcasts, who read my writings, please pray for me to find a new balance in all of this. I'm not sure I've got the right balance yet, but I'm trying. And I don't want my, my babies, my kids, to be hurt by what I'm doing. Lastly, I'm going to say, we're, I'm launching, actually, can you believe it, with everything going on, I'm launching a new ministry coming this January called Novum, which the word means new. It's a local ministry where we're going to be leading people in adoration and preaching the undiluted gospel. And as I said a couple days ago, I said, you know, I, how are we going to preach to people the truth when we're so divided like this to even pronounce the truth? You know what the answer is? Preach it anyway. Preach the truth anyway in love and let the chips fall where they may. You know what? People might throw me out of the room. They might yell at me. They may curse at me. In fact, they may take my life. These are the kind of days that we are beginning to enter and if you don't have that mindset to give your whole life to Jesus Christ, be careful if you think you're standing lest you fall. Be careful. We have to be all in for Jesus. He was clear. Whoever loses his life for my sake will gain his life. So at this Christmas, go to the stable. Go to Jesus. Kneel before him in the manger and say, Jesus, I give you my all. I place myself at your feet. I dispose my whole life to you. To Mary, turn to her and say, Totus tuus. To you, Mary. To Jesus, through you, Mary, I give my whole heart. And finally, to St. Joseph, say, I entrust my family and my life to your protection, to drive away the evil one, the malicious one, to protect me, above all, to intercede for me, St. Joseph, that I would remain faithful to the end. Merry Christmas, you are loved.